It was about fourth grade uh, or fifth grade. When I first saw my mom uh, sitting at the kitchen table crying, it was a scene that I would see repeated uh, occasionally here and there as a kid. Um, It was an image that I would see repeated enough that it became seared in my mind as a bit of a worrying reminder for me. (laughs) The first time I noticed her sitting at the table, uh, at the kitchen table kind of (laughs) crying, it was at the end of the month, and at the time I had no idea what she was doing. Some of you will catch on pretty early here. (laughs) It was the end of the month, sitting at the kitchen table crying, and and I was up late once at night uh, when I usually would be asleep, and I just remember this vision of her in the kitchen uh, with her head down, crying, with table uh, strewn with, uh, with papers all around it. And, and I just remember <laughs> asking, hey, Mom, what, what's wrong? What, what's the matter? Is, is everything okay? I mean, a fourth grader, fifth grader, watching Mom late at night cry at the table by herself. I remember when she said no <laughs> once. <laughs> I remember sort of being startled and, and obviously quite concerned about what was going on. turns out um, that she was doing the monthly bills. Uh, Some of you can understand why she was crying. At the end of every month, um, for a little while in our lives, that was a scene that I saw repeated. And when I began to understand what was going on, I realized that when I saw that scene, I realized that I had a a bit of a reason to worry myself. I began wondering to myself, what what if we had to move again? Uh, Are we going to have enough money for food? Uh, are we going to be okay? Is our family going to be just fine? And I remember thinking, this is a true story, I remember thinking, we're going to be okay. I can just start selling lemonade. <laughs> we could unpack that for a while, by the way, the psychology of young Scott Wakefield. Saw a need and started selling lemonade. That was one of the first moments uh, in my life that I recognized that my personal safety and security wasn't totally up to me when I started to realize that my future hinged on someone else's safety and security and prosperity and that my prosperity wasn't entirely in my own hands. You ever had that moment when you faced that security being something that wasn't entirely up to you? Maybe your future was in the air because you realized that someone else was in charge. That's a moment we all kind of face to some degree or another. When you're not the one who holds the power to your own success or future, when someone else holds all those cards and you don't, you hope and you pray that that other person, the person with the power, deals those cards in your favor, right? Because there's insecurity involved there. There's There's a future that's uncertain. That's exactly how the people of God felt here in Psalm 132 at the beginning. They knew that their personal prosperity, that their national prosperity, hinged on God continuing to give them favor. Not just personally, but through their king. In this case, favor through the house of David. Look at me with Psalm, uh, look with me at Psalm 132, verse 10, where we'll jump into the text here. A lot of good scripture to cover here today. Psalm 132, verse 10, look at this. It says, For the sake sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Now, here's what you need to know here at this point. Because God had promised provision, 
Because God had promised provision for his people through the line of David, of King David, the person, the personal prosperity of these people was coexistent with, it was dependent upon, it was wrapped up in King David's prosperity and progress. Let me say that again because it's important to understand for what's going on here. Because, because God had promised to David to prosper him. The people knew that their personal prosperity, that their blessing, that their future, that their security was was coexistent with. It was wrapped up in and dependent upon David's prosperity, on how God would prosper the line of David. As, As David went, so did the people. As the king went, so did the people. So verse 10 here, which is a summary of the first nine verses that precede it, verse 10 here is a plea from God's people to the Lord. For the sake of your servant David, people speaking to God, because of your promises made to David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Do not reject the king that was currently on the throne. We don't know who it was. It wasn't David, but whomever it was, the people are pleading with God. We don't know who it was, but they were pleading with God. Do not reject this king because our future Lord, pleading with him, hinges on your promise to King David. And therefore also, this king who's on the throne. Our future rises and falls with your promise to the king. So because of this dynamic, the people knowing of their dependency upon the kingship, upon David's throne, upon the current throne, the psalmist who who wrote this, we're not sure who it was, the psalmist is trying to reassure the people in the middle of their uncertainty, in the middle of them feeling like they're not sure what's going to happen with them, The psalmist is trying to reassure the people that it's going to be okay. (laughs) The Lord promised. He said it's going to be okay. He will provide. It will be just fine. Now friends, before we move forward, we are not much different than those first followers of God. And we have plenty of reason to be worried, right? I mean, we live in a world today of constant information flow. We know more right now about what's wrong in the world than literally any other time in history. Smartphones mean that the ugliness of the world is available to us at our fingertips at a moment's notice. Which means it's easy for us to feel with globalization, with the increase of information, with knowing things that used to be kept hidden in secret that only the government knew. Now it seems everybody knows everything. We have plenty of reason, it feels like today, to be worried about our security and our future and our hope. And so it's easy to feel like our futures are wrapped up in the futures of those who hold the power. And in some sense, there can be plenty of reason to be afraid for some things. But, (laughs) but listen, folks, Psalm 132 comes at a time to say, it's all going to be okay. And Christmas ends up being a season where the presence of God comes in flesh to say, people, it's going to be okay. Psalm 132 brings this message of hope and security, and the sustaining presence of God, no matter what the world throws at us. Look at verse 11. 
We're going to pick up the speed here a little bit. The Lord swore to David. When God swears, it's as certain as done. He's the only one who can justifiably swear, which is why it is called, the next phrase here, a sure oath. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. And here is God's promise to David, verse 11. One of the sons of your body, meaning from your own genes, one of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. And it's not just for an earthly kingdom, for your own sons to sit on the throne, David. It's a forever kingdom. Keep reading verse 12. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Now, now 11b through 12 there, second half of 11 through 12, are a shortened version of God's original covenant promise to David which we're going to look at in a second here in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, the longer version of 11 to 12 is found in 2 Samuel 7. We're going to jump in, in verse 2 here in just a second. So keep your thumb in 132 and jump to 2 Samuel 7 if you don't yet have it handy. 2 Samuel 7 is a key passage in the history of God's relationship with his people. This is a passage where God promises to prosper and to provide for the house of David and through him, through King David, for all of God's people. So the basic context of 2 Samuel 7 is this. Everything's fine. Everything's peaceful. David is at rest. That's what's sitting there in verse 1. But look at verse 2 here in 2 Samuel 7. Because everything's peaceful, the king, David, 2 Samuel 7, verse 2, said to Nathan the prophet... Nathan was a prophet, a mouthpiece for God. He says, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God, which represents the presence of God, the ark of God dwells in a tent. So everything's cool, everything's at rest, no war. David is at peace, sitting in the temple, and he says, You know, here I am in luxury. I'm living in Harrison Heights, and God's presence is in Chucky. It's kind of like that kind of thing. No. Strike that for second service. It's like I'm living in luxury. Some of my favorite people are from Chucky. It's okay. Second service laughs at those, just saying. So David says, I'm living in luxury, but Almighty God, perfect and holy and powerful God, is living in a portable tent. So David sees that and he says, something's wrong here. This should not be the case. This isn't right. So David proposes to fix that situation. And Nathan says this in verse 3 when David proposes in verse 2. Let me do this. Nathan says, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Go for it, David. Knock yourself out. Build a big and beautiful temple for the Lord, the kind that he deserves. But before we move on, check this out. That's not what God wanted. That's not how this works. David is what God says to him. Because this is a covenant, a promise from God to prosper his people. And here's something important before we move on. A covenant is not the same as a contract. A covenant is not the same as a contract. Listen carefully because we need to, to read Psalm 132 and 2 Samuel 7 in light of this. A covenant is a mutually binding agreement between two parties that is intended primarily not to produce something business-wise or economically or that they serve one another in those ways, but that is 
meant to provide a genuine relational bond between the two parties. It's more than a business contract where if one person breaks the promise, the contract's off. If one person breaks the contract, the other can say, it's over, it's done with. A covenant is deeper than a contract. A covenant is both parties sacrificing to create a mutually binding, and even if one breaks it, the terms of the covenant stay in place. A covenant is about mutual sacrifice. David thinks he is pleasing God with his work to provide God a temple, a home where he can rest with his people, but God has different plans here because his covenant doesn't rest on whether or not David builds him a temple, as David thinks that it does. There's a lot there for us that we could unpack, but let's move forward. Too much to go on to. God has better, plan, better plans that do not fail if David fails. Look at verse 4 and following here. Remember, David wanted to build God a house, so he told Nathan that he would do so. And Nathan said, knock yourself out. But that same night, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. This is the Lord speaking. Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? Like you're going to decide how this is going to happen, David? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with the people of Israel, did I break, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? It's not like I didn't have a chance to tell somebody, David, that I needed a new home. Don't even need a house, David. Now, therefore, verse 8, Thus you shall say to my servant David, the Lord speaking through Nathan the prophet to David, Thus says the Lord of hosts. That's a statement of authority. This is how it's really going to go down. And, and, and notice here in the next few verses, notice who is in charge here. Notice who takes the initiative. Notice who prospers who. These verses are a key look into the heart of God for his people because he is in charge of their prosperity. He looks after their future. God Almighty is the great shepherd and the forever king upon whom their prosperity most truly hinges regardless of what they thought. Regardless of what King David thought. This is what, this is what keeping the covenant looks like. Look at verse 8. I took you from the pasture from following the sheep. God speaking to David, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. You used to tend sheep, David. Now you're the king. Who made that happen? Don't forget where you came from and how this happened. I have been with you, verse 9, wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And notice the transition from 9 to 10, how David's prosperity and the people's prosperity are intertwined. Verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. This is a picture of both earthly and heavenly peace. Moreover, not only that, but this is a key verse. Listen to this. But the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. 
the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David wants to build God a house. But God tells David, that's not how this covenant works. I will build your house. Verses 12 through 16 here in 2 Samuel 7 are the part that Psalm 132, 11 to 12 summarize. This is God speaking to David here in 12 to 16 about how David's sons are part and parcel of God's promise to provide a forever king for his own people. Listen to that again because it's important. This is God speaking to David about how God's going to provide for David's sons who are part and parcel of God's promise to provide a forever king for his own people. David thought he was going to build a house. He thought he was going to lead the people of Israel. Turns out God's just using David to do his own work. The covenant does what God the king wants the covenant to do. The people prosper as David prospers, as God prospers him, so the people are prospered. The people prosper as David prospers them, as God prospers him, so the people are prospered. The king is always in charge. His covenant will always stand. You can't build a temple good enough for the king of the universe. (laughs) No matter how hard we try. Look at verses 12 and following. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. At this point, speaking of Solomon, David's son, but it extends further. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son When he commits iniquity, still speaking of Solomon there, I will discipline with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But, because God keeps the covenant no matter what, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is a God who keeps his end of the bargain, friends. This is a God who keeps his end of the bargain. Look at Psalm 132, starting at 13 and following. And here's what we see here in Psalm 132. Uh, God's covenant promise is not fulfilled as merely an earthly and a time-bound and a material kingdom, but as a forever kingdom that is established by a forever king. The kind of kingdom no human can establish This is a forever kingdom established by a forever king. Look at Psalm 132 again, 13 and following. It says, For the Lord has chosen Zion, which sounds like God's word to David in 2 Samuel 7. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it as a place and as a people for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. Zion is a place and a people. God calls it a her. And notice who is ensuring the covenant here. 
how it's kept. I will satisfy her poor with bread, her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints I will shout for joy. There in Zion I will make a horn, which is a symbol of strength and help. I will make a horn to sprout for, Z- for David, to, to, to grow up t- for David. I have prepared uh, a lamp. This is a reference to the lamp in the tabernacle that always stayed lit. That was a symbol of God's presence. Uh, for in Zion, among my people, I will provide strength and help forever. For my anointed, at the end of verse 17 there. And then verse 18 says, His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. God is saying here that he will raise up a new David who will provide strength and help forever. God's going to raise up a new David who will establish a forever kingdom who will provide help and strength forever. Because a forever kingdom requires a forever king. Now here's the twist Here's the crazy part of all this. God established this forever kingdom in a way that no one saw coming. God established this forever kingdom in a way that no one saw coming. You see, most kingdoms, (laughs) most kingdoms do everything they can to protect their king. Right? It's like, it's like chess. When the king goes, king goes down, the kingdom goes down. When the king is lost, the kingdom is lost. So in most kingdoms, it's super important to protect that king at all costs. That way the people know that they're provided for. But God doesn't provide that way. It's like that in most kingdoms, but not in God's kingdom. Let me tell you what I mean. Toward the end of World War II, uh, during the Allied invasion of Normandy, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill very desperately wanted to join the forces so that he himself could watch the invasion. So he planned to do so from the bridge of a battleship on the English Channel. But U.S. General Eisenhower... (laughs) desperately wanted to stop him because he had a sense that if he were killed in battle, it would not be good for the Allied forces and for England. Eisenhower knew how incredibly valuable Churchill was to their success. So if you know anything about Churchill, (laughs) he was not easily swayed. So Eisenhower had to appeal to a higher authority and go to King George himself, who agreed with Eisenhower that Churchill should be kept safe and away from harm. So King George goes to Churchill and says, Churchill, if it's your duty to watch the invasion from the bridge of this battleship, then it must be mine as well. (laughs) At which point Churchill reluctantly agreed to back down, of course, uh, because he wanted to make sure that he didn't expose the king of England to that kind of danger. This is how it works in most kingdoms. You protect the king at all costs because you know that your prosperity is wrapped up in the king's prosperity. But friends, King Jesus did exactly the opposite. 
Which is to say that instead of protect himself, he surrendered his own body in the battle for your soul. Listen closely to this precious truth, friends. Instead of protecting himself, almighty, perfect, holy, creator God surrendered his own body in the battle for your soul. And on the cross, Jesus offered a ransom for your soul that only a king can afford. His life for your life. That's that's a real king. A king who offers his own life. So you could wear a royal crown that is so valuable you can only inherit it. You can't earn it. That is a king, friends, worth worshiping. Isaiah 9-7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Friends, you can trust your future to a king who sacrificed himself to ensure it. You can trust your future to a king who sacrificed himself to ensure it. We're here because we serve a God who does not break the terms of the covenant. He kept his end of the bargain. Even when we don't. Even when we fail. Even when we live in ways that have denied his power. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, <laughs> while we were in rebellion against God's kingdom and his power and his glory, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A king that died for you. To give us eternal riches we could never possibly earn. That's a king worthy of worship, friends. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, during a season where so much distracts us and gives us the impression that we live in a world established by material resources and earthly goods, we recognize that we live in a world created by your supernatural hand that you do things beyond what we understand and that you are a king who holds all power and who sits on a throne that lasts forever. May we be men and women, Lord, 
whose lives and resources are about singing the praise that you're a king who lives forever. We trust you. We trust you with all those areas of our lives, Lord, where uh, distrust is easy, where fear uh, seems to overwhelm, where hurt and pain are hindrances to forward movement in faith. Lord, we trust you because you took all of your power and used it to come in the flesh through your Son, Jesus, to establish through your people a relationship that lasts forever, where we enjoy contentment and peace as you reign. Lord, we love you for this. And we give you our hearts because of this. And we ask that you continue to shape us into your subjects who give you praise and glory that only you deserve. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who established your kingdom for us. Amen. Hey, we want to uh, invite you to respond in whatever way appropriate to the truth that we serve a king who gave for us riches we could never earn and that we don't deserve. That's the gist of the gospel. There are lots of ways to say it. Uh, but we call it good news because 